Hello and welcome back after a long break where we got our Essen games all played to episode 76 of the Game Pit. I'm Sean and here's Ronan. Hello, yes, we have been diligently slaving away at the gaming table, Sean. It's been awful. It's been terrible, terrible. Poor us, playing a load of the Essen releases and we intend to give you three episodes in relatively short order covering many of the games which have come out and then obviously as with everyone we can't get everything played to the depth we would like we're going to be covering more titles as the months go on but sean this is a special episode with special guests it is we are going back to the family and we are looking at some family games ronan it's kind of something especially for us and our friends when you're deep into the hobby aspect of gaming Essen is very much actually more than hobby gaming, a family gaming fair. Loads of room, loads of families around the place, as well as the area where they've got the crazy big bouncy castles and trampolines, what have you. Actually, loads of family game companies are there to show off titles old and new. And we want to kind of cover that aspect, as well as Sean and I talking about the six games we're going to be talking about. My daughters are going to be joining us very briefly in and out after Sean and I have spoken about most of the games they didn't play Spinderella which is one of the six so they won't be there for that bit but they're going to show their thoughts because we thought it might be an interesting aspect on games which are targeted more towards them than us really yeah so Ronan what what are three games that you have brought to the table for this family episode I have brought Dr Eureka Hop 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 and Pingle Pingle very good and myself, I've brought Dragon Term, or Dragon Tower, Wizardry to the Power of Three, which I briefly talked about before, and, as Ronan mentioned, Spinderella. A couple of these aren't necessarily this year Essen releases, but they are certainly Essen releases of years gone by. Uh, yeah, indeed. And we're going to say now, usually we give you our thoughts at the end of when we chat about each game, but with all of these games, we've enjoyed them all, and we found that as we were discussing the episode, we're just going to go... Yeah, it's a good game. It's really good fun because these are sort of the cream off the crop that we found for family games recently. So instead, we're going to mix it up a little bit. Each of us has played five of the six games and we're going to give you the five we've played in an order of a top five at the end of the episode to compare them to each other as opposed to just going, they're all fun. Yeah, absolutely. And as always... We are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for gaming podcasts and news and everything to do with gaming. Also, you can download our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course, Podbean. So as well as hearing our opinions on family games, we thought we'd get in two experts to give you a slightly different slant on each game and the long-awaited debuts in the game pit of my daughters, Eleanor. Hi! And Caitlin. Yeah! Uh, Eleanor is 13 and Caitlin is 10. Now to give you a slight intro to them, I'm going to say, Eleanor, what is your favourite game? Probably Tyrants of the Underdark. I do like deck builders. And you do like dark themes. Yes. And you like too much eye makeup. Yes. <laughs> and Kerrang magazine. And Kerrang magazine, yes. <laughs> so you're going to give us the emo version of family games. <laughs> good, good emotion. So happy. <laughs> okay, thanks for the overacting. Caitlin, what's your favourite game? Dixit. Dixit, and why Dixit? 
because I can just explain my why I did the card and why people have to put cards related to that in. I just explain. We get the inner workings of your brain. Yeah. Cray cray. Scary place. <laughs> okay. And other than gaming, what do you like to do, Caitlin? What do you like to do more than playing games? I like to colour in in colouring books. Linking back fun. to Dixit, do you like artwork and being creative? Yeah. Nice. Eleanor, other than playing games? Reading and listening to music. Oh, I nice. love to listen to music as well. Slightly different musical taste yeah. though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pop. Rock. <laughs> Metal for the win. <laughs> cool, so you will be hearing for a couple of minutes after most of the games in the episode from Eleanor and Caitlin. Woohoo! So the first game we're going to kick off with this time round is Dr. Eureka. This is a 2015 release from Pegasus Spieler. 15 minutes long and designed by now this is a coincidence but it turns out he's designed three of these games which we didn't realize when we did the lineup roberto fraga who's also famous as well as the two other games you can hear about from him for designing captain sonar which made a big hit at gen con this year river dragons dancing eggs and actually many 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 more games in the game of dr eureka each player is given three large test tubes and they're going to get two balls each of three different colors Starting from there, you flip over a card in the middle of the table, and that's going to show a configuration of how the ball should be arranged within the test tube. So certain colours on top of other colours, three in one test tube, none another, whatever it may be. From the flip of the card, everyone starts playing furiously, and it's the first person to get the correct configuration of balls in the test tubes is going to win the card and win a point. Now, you can't touch the balls, you can't let them out of the test tubes and hold them in your hands, and you can't let them touch the table. The first player to five points wins, and that is the simplicity of Dr. Eureka. There are two other modes you can use. There's expert mode to make it harder for people where you have to hold all three test tubes at the same time rather than be able to put them down on the table as you're whizzing them around. And the last one is puzzle, which adds a little slant in there. There's a reverse bid for the minimum number of moves you think it's going to take you to complete the guard once it's been flipped. So if you look at it and think you can do it in 13 moves, you bid 13. First person to lower that bid, I must say 12, 11, 10, wherever you get to, when it finishes, and there's been no bids for a while, that person then has to do it in 10 moves. Otherwise, they don't win the point. Whoever made the next highest bid gets to, if you can do it in your 11 moves, great, you win the point, and so on and so forth. Adds it a little bit slower and a little bit thinkier. But Sean, thoughts on Dr. Eureka? Well, Ron, it is certainly a very, very simple premise. For what it is, I think it provides a lot of fun, a lot of giggling, a lot of laughter around the table. Maybe not quite for the ham-fisted buffoon like myself, who is constantly dropping the balls all over the table and on the floor. And, and as soon as you drop one ball, then that's it, you're out of the round. So... Quite a lot of the time, my balls were flying across the table and I was out of the round. Hey. Hey, hey. It's surprisingly tricky, I'd say. Not just everyone drops their balls at some point. You look at you, this is going to be easy. And it's that stress of the timed aspect of, oh, I've got to do it quickly. Oh, how well are they doing? And then your hands start shaking and the balls are in the exact size of the test tube. So to actually tip them in, not as easy as it looks, and also quite funny when you find yourself trying to tip one of the two across and they both go. 
So then you try and tip them back and they both go. And then you try and tip them back and they both go. And you're sitting there just rolling two balls between two test tubes, wondering how it is you can be so ham-fisted at this very simple time. Yeah, and it is. It's basically dexterity and thought in the box. It's not just about the dexterity of getting things. You've actually got to plan your moves. you actually got to think ahead. Hang on, if I put the two blue ones in there, then that frees up the green one. And I can get that on top. And then I can put the blue ones back in there and put the purple one on top of it. So you're thinking all the time and you've obviously got that dexterity element going on. So a very clever game. Only takes 30 seconds to teach. That's also a big plus for me. However, one of the other things to it is with a lot of dexterity games and definitely with this one, some players are just naturally going to be better than other players. So does it mean that everyone feels involved all the time and, and in the hunt, Sean? Sometimes you just know you're going to be up against somebody who is just better at this type of thing. They've got better dexterity than you. They're thinking ahead better than you. There are going to be times where you have to handicap people maybe or use the different variants to the game. It's hard to think of a way around that. We did it a little bit in taking the timing away. So people had to delay when they could start. And they weren't supposed to look at the card to give the younger members a, a chance to, to feel involved and feel competitive. And me. Uh, and some of the older members. <laughs> Age range. I, I don't think this is going to work for much younger kids, Sean. You've got a better perspective on that with a four-year-old. My youngest, as we've heard, is 10. He wouldn't have a chance. He Balls would be everywhere. He wouldn't really understand how to get the different combinations. So I think maybe give him at least a couple of years, if not three. Yeah, I was looking maybe eight up. And even then, I think yeah, quite challenging yeah, for an maybe. eight-year-old. Great. We've said that we enjoy all these games, so you're going to hear where Dr. Eureka comes in our top five and indeed the top five of my daughters, Eleanor and Caitlin, and here they are. Ella, Doctor Eureka was your present from Essen this year. What do you think about it? It's a good game. I just, I just hate it because I'm, I suck at it. You came second in our last game. Okay, okay, maybe that was her best game. It was my best. <laughs> I think it's a game that everyone thinks they suck at because it's quite difficult and fiddly. Caitlin, how have you found it? It's really hard, and you have to be really fast, especially with you. Oh, that's some accusing eyes you're firing across at me there. <laughs> but we have handicapped it. Well, I do take, you know, I take a few yeah. seconds. You're in the game! <laughs> <laughs> we do a countdown coming in for people as to how good they are, and that's what they shout when they're out to play. I always just get to look at it first, because I suck. <laughs> but you always score a few points. Do you feel like you're getting any better at it? Last time I got two, but I kind of getting a bit better. I feel that it's a game that you can improve out with practice. Yeah. And do you want to play it enough to get better at it? Yeah. You enjoy it then? Yeah. And it's got the race aspect and the real-time aspect and some games that stresses you out and some games you like it. Do you like it in this game or would you rather there's another way of playing where we weren't racing each other? I really like it. Uh, I also like it because it makes Ellie sad. <laughs> And then the real-time aspect, because both you get stressed at escape, and sometimes in racing games you don't like playing and you get frustrated. Was it, are you getting frustrated at this one or are you not? I do get frustrated, but I feel like the frustration is an integral part of the way you play the game. So <laughs> without the frustration, the game wouldn't be Dr. Eureka. Yeah, it would just be throwing balls into test tubes. <laughs> <laughs> Which it pretty much is anyway. <laughs> yeah, but without the stress then it wouldn't be the same. Okay, so enjoyable stress. Yes, and definitely. Are, are you ever going to beat me? 
No. <laughs> You're supposed to say yes, we're gonna get there. <laughs> no. Right. It does remind me of Ringleding. Yeah. 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 So, Ringleding was another racing game we play where you flip a card and you have to put scrunchies over your fingers. We've yeah. spoken about it before on the game pit. That is very similar as well, and we yeah. play it in a similar way where we do the handicapping system. But instead of saying I'm done, you tap a bell. Prefer the bell or prefer the shouting I'm done? Bell. Um, shouting I'm done. It gives it makes win. other people sad. <laughs> but imagine you were trying to whack the table with all those fake test tubes around. Another Doctor Eureka related <laughs> death. Doctor Eureka, come fix it. <laughs> At least he's a doctor. Okay, next up we are going to talk about Dragon Term or Dragon Tower from Haber Games. It's two to four players designed by Carlo A. Rossi, who did Hab and Gut. This is a memory game where you have a 3D castle on the middle of the board. And what you're trying to do is build a scaffolding made out of cardboard up the side of that castle. Now, how are you going to do that is you've got little standees of people in different colours. And you've got matching cards that you are going to flip over. And when you get the matching color, you're going to put one of your standees down. Once you've got four standees, you're going to build a floor, a cardboard floor. And then you're going to do the same again and then the same again until eventually you reach the top of the castle. What's making that harder is it's a memory game. Once you turn the cards over, you're going to turn them back again. And then for the next round, you've got to try and remember where those colors are. All the time, you have a dragon who is actually trying to pull the foundations of your scaffolding away. And this is done with a, a timer and a, some sort of reel. There's a string and there's a rock at the end of the string, which is balancing the first section of the scaffolding. And it's slowly getting shorter and shorter. Is once the scaffolding has been built, you then have to rescue the princess. Again, against that timer of the dragon trying to pull the scaffolding from under you. You do this by having cardboard rods where you are pushing a little pink figure through holes around the side of this 3D tower. And on this scaffolding that you've just built, there are little holes in each of the floors and you've got to plop the princess through. Now you're all helping each other. So you're all either side and trying not to drop the princess off the side of the scaffolding. Once you get the princess down to safety, then you've won. As I said, if the dragon you should run out of time, the dragon will pull the scaffolding down and you can't complete this. There are also dragon cards hidden amongst the cards on the ground and they move the dragon back one step and obviously shortens your time. And that's it. Very simple, but it wasn't actually made explicit, Rodan, in the rule book that you actually play these two together. There is game one and game two. So I, I guess that it's all linked. <laughs> we, just, we think so. Uh, you know, I'll play we one, think I'll so. play two, or do whatever you want. It's a game. So clearly, yeah. the big USP of this title is the fact you've got the castle, you're building the scaffold next to it. It's got these whole 3D elements. Gimmick, Sean, or genuine tension creator for the game. Now, I am one of Haber's absolute 
biggest fan. We've got loads of their games in, in this household. My son adores them. Haber are the first place I go to when I'm looking for games for my son. But I have a theory, Ronan. Oh. Some of their more extravagant and spectacular looking games, I don't think carry the same sort of meat as some of the, the less dramatic ones. I'm thinking more along the lines of there's we have games called there's Knuckling Knights and Titus Tentacle. Look fantastic, really high production cost, but they're not the ones we go back to time and time again. We go back to games like Animal Upon Animal, My First Orchard, uh, Diego Drakensan, Super Rhino is another example. It's a simple premise. <laughs> Super Rhino. A simple premise, not maybe not. It does look spectacular when it's all up, but what it's not that production value. And this falls into that category for me. Is it doesn't hold the depth of some of those other simpler games? Do you think it's that it doesn't hold the depth, or is the bigger box, the bigger price tag, this whole because they do look cool on the table? Is it creating bigger expectations from you? They do sort of sort of almost anthologies as well. And there's um My First Learning Zoo is another game we got. And it just has so much more in the box, I feel. Like so much more interaction. With this, there's not a lot going on. You turn the card over, you put the standee down and you try and do that quickly. That's one part of the game. And then the second part is you're literally poking a little figure through hole and trying to keep them on the castle. Both sets of it is done in 10 minutes. It just doesn't seem like you're getting the value. Still, it's still nice. I, we like it. My son enjoys it way more than, for instance, Knuckling Knights, which uh, even my son didn't really get how that one worked because there wasn't much game to that. There is a game to this, and it is fun while it lasts, but it just was a little bit disappointed. How challenging is it? Because it is a co-op, therefore the level of challenge is pretty key. I think... It's very challenging. Again, in the rule book, it didn't specifically state that you, you stop the timer after you complete each floor. Now, if you were to go from bottom to top with that timer, you don't get long. Which I would put it difficult for adults. It is really difficult to remember where everything is. And with that timer, you get a couple of dragons. It's almost impossible, if not impossible. Okay. Mm. Very I said difficult. we were going to say all of these games are good and fun. No, it is good. No, because this is the one good. I haven't played, obviously. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a good game. I like it. My son, he likes the theatre of it. He likes the spectacular castle going up. He loves it when the the dragon pulls the, the scaffolding down. You've got all that theatre in there, and there is a a proper game. It is all about memory and remembering where things are and acting quickly. So you can't dally, but it's very difficult. And I just don't know if the price tag quite matches what you're getting. Mm, Haber, are they victims of their own success? Well, recently, as I said, I mentioned Drago Drakensan. Really clever game. It's one where you're, you're flicking a marble at a target and people have got to guess where you're flicking it. And it's about your dexterity. And oh, yeah. I played that one with you guys. You've played that one, yeah. And I really enjoyed that. We all really enjoyed that. My son really Man, enjoys I it. Man, I suck at that game. Everyone sucks at that game. Apart from my son, who doesn't look like he's flicking at the target he's flicking at. <laughs> he gets it every time. James, you're going you're gonna to hit me in the eye. You're going to hit me in the eye. Oh, you did it. Exactly. Oh. 
yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, you got you got all three in there. Well done. Oh. <laughs> I haven't got any in three turns, and you just got three. In, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> more embarrassing for a four-year-old. Cool. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to hear how Sean ranks this one at the end of the episode. Dragon Tower is probably aimed for an age range lower than for you two, but that's okay. We play plenty of games that are for four and up and six or up, and the very best ones we still enjoy and we still get them out. So, Dragon Tower, Eleanor, what did you think? I liked it a lot. The timer was a very good concept, the way the dragon pulled in the uh, rock and it physically finished the game instead of just kind of finishing it. And I guess you can see how the time is working, whereas some of the yeah. other ones, the time is running, but you're maybe not sure how close you are to the end of the game. Yeah. Okay. And did you find it difficult, Caitlin? Not really, but it was a bit... It made you quite angry when you flipped over the tile that had the wrong colour or the colour that's already been put down. Okay. So you found it a little bit frustrating sometimes? Yeah. Okay. Would that make really you miss quick. your go? Kind of, yeah. And there are two different games in there. Did you have a favourite between the two, Ellie? I preferred the princess game where you had to take the princess out of her tower. However, I didn't much like the princess counter, the thing that you had to push, because it was extremely ugly. I like the aesthetic in games. Oh, judging. Yes, I am judging. Caitlin, did you have a favourite of the two deck games that came with Dragon Tower? No, I liked both of them. It was kind of fun when the timer ran out and then the rock was pulled out from under the tower because it all fell down. When we won, we actually waited until the dragon pulled down the tower because it was really fun just to see it fall. <laughs> and then is that everything falling down, the best bit of the game? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it is quite relieving when you push the princess into her carriage and then she rides away. And as compared to the other games that maybe aimed at older children we've played, do you think it's as good as those games? Would you like to play it again and again? I wouldn't as much as I normally would, but I do play quite a few adult games. So. And Caitlin? I like the children's games. I like some adult games. That game was actually really good. It was kind of hard, which is kind of weird. It's directed to the lower ages. When I'm 10 and it was still a bit hard for me. So could you see it be like, so we played it with James, who's four. Could you play it with like four, five and six-year-olds? Or do you think you need adults and older children to be helping out, otherwise you're never going to win it? No, it's fine. It's, it's fine for younger it's kids. It's perfect for younger children. Cool. Contrary to what Caitlin said, I do believe that you would need an adult to help small children. Okay, cool. Thank you very much. So we're going to move on now to a game we previewed in one of our many previews for Essen 2016. This is from Fun Forge, it's for three to six players, takes 30 minutes to play. Designed by Marie Cadouat and Ludovic Mablanc. In the game, each turn you will have one person who will be the hurler. They are going to take a little rainbow disc in their hand, and another player will be the skewerer. And they are going to attempt to somehow project the rainbow disc thingy ring. It's a rainbow with clouds. Onto the extended index finger of the player who is the skewerer. Now, how they're going to do that is set each time by a challenge card. Every single one of them is different and it's going to tell them some 
way in which they can be handicapped before they're able to somehow get this rainbow over the skewer's finger. So they might have to stand back to back with the skewer, or they might have to flip it off their elbow, or they might have to flip it with their foot, or their head might have to be on the table. There's about 60 different ways of doing this. They've all got different names, they've all got artwork, they all look cool. That's great, you've got one hurler and one skewer. You also may have an assister or a turbulator. Now the assister is going to somehow help the hurler. For example, the hurler's eyes might be closed and the assister is going to guide them as to where they should throw it or the turbulator might have to stand there pulling funny faces or stand between the hurler and the skewer or put one thumb in somewhere. Who knows? There's all different roles for these assisters and these turbulators. Anyone who's not a hurler, skewer, assister or turbulator is going to then place a bet on the success or otherwise. They're just going to put out a cloud of happy side or sad side down saying, I think you're going to do it or I think you're not going to do it. Now, the attempt to get the rainbow over the finger is either going to be successful or it isn't. If it is successful, the assister is going to be represented by a little figurine which will be on a little 3D representation of the sky and you're going to the system will move their figurine up one level which represents a point. There are seven levels on that board and one of the way the game's ending is if anyone hits the seventh level you're going to have seven points to them and the game ends at that point. The skewerer and the assister will both get a cloud token on a successful throw if there is an assister. If the hurl is unsuccessful, the hurler is going to lose a balloon. You start with five and those are your lives. The other way the game can end is if anyone loses all five lives, the game is over immediately and we add up our points. Those points are what level you are on and those cloud tokens I previously mentioned. If the hurl is unsuccessful, the turbulator will get one of those cloud tokens, which may be worth points to them. Then anyone who bet on the outcome, if they bet correctly, they're going to take a little dove token from around the board, three dove tokens, and you go up a level on the board. Or if they bet unsuccessfully, they're going to take a crow token, three crow tokens, and you lose a balloon. Now, the good news there is, or the bad news, if you collect three of any type of bird, you wipe all of your birds out, and that effect takes place. That is how you play hop. You throw a rainbow over someone's finger. Hop! Ronan, I think I'm going to give this an award. Go on. Most overproduced game in the history of gaming. I'm not, not, I'm not having it. I'm, not, I'm fed up of hearing this. There's no such thing as overproduced. <laughs> No such thing as overproduced. It has incredible production values. Surely, as the components man, you've got to go that the great production it values just adds to the fun. It looks amazing. I don't know that they do add to the fun, but it looks stunning. Obviously, if are, I you watch- t- are you telling me that when you open that box and you see those incredible figurines and all the components, it doesn't make you smile and go, wow, cool. Yeah. You weren't the one that logged it back for messing. Yeah. There's nothing you can get rid of in that box. (laughs) You build up the sky and you put all the clouds and the birds out. It it is an event. You're the one. You said it in the last one. You like the theatre of a game. This creates the theatre of the game. Ah, the theatre of this. The theatre of this is the cards and the actual throwing of the rainbow disc. That is with the theatre of this. No, don't get me wrong. It does look amazing. The figures are beautiful. They're really colourful, lots of fun. It does look good. And fun for The fact obviously... that those figures have names and little personalities. Yeah. Immediately cool. drew the kids in. They were like, oh, great, I want to be this one. I want to be that one. They called themselves by their names. It immediately got them into the idea of the game. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't disapprove, but I think it's the most overproduced game I've ever seen. 
But what you actually do in the game is just spectacular what comes in that box. And as I said, I was trying to say, Fun Forge have obviously got a lot of faith in this product to just throw that much production value at something that is a physical dexterity game at, at the end of the day. But well, they boil us down to reading those cards, throwing the disc, and the people around you clapping and cheering. And that's what you get with Hop. It's a, an immensely fun game. I will say one thing, Ronan, you do need to have a bit of space to play this one. You do need a little bit of space because you must let go of the rainbow before it's over the table. So obviously the skewer, we always choose the screws, got someone on the other side of the table, otherwise it's a bit ridiculous. And sometimes you have to lie on the floor, you've got to lie on a chair, you've got to stand back two steps. You're not going to be able to play this in a cramped space, but it's a game about throwing that. You know, kind of becomes, you know, obvious. Well, but with all those things, Sean, we have to move around, just to be able to balance on the chair, whatever you have to do. Because if it was just throwing, it may outstay its welcome. But because every single throw is in somehow different, and the challenge is constantly changing, and you don't know exactly what you're going to do on your go, I find that it keeps the game fresh. And Because some games like this, it's the last half an hour, after 10 minutes you're going, I've just got 20 more minutes of doing the same thing again and seeing how well I can do it. In this one, you don't know what you're going to have to do on your turn. You don't know if you're going to have to assist or turbulate or what you have to do as a skewer. It, I love that it's constantly changing. It is constantly changing, and I think it gets the silly fun to actual game ratio just right. There, there are things you're thinking about. It does keep everybody involved with the voting, and that yeah, that's that is vital. I think that it keeps everyone yeah, involved. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong; right. it is silly fun. You can't get too invested in the scores because some of those cloud tokens are zero, some of them are two. So you pick up a few zeros, no matter how well you've done in the voting or the skewering then sometimes you're just going to end up with no points. But oh, hum, it's the fun of the game. You're not really invested in who wins. And yeah, I think it just nails it spot on for me. I think probably the last point for me is that what we've done is, with the younger players, we've mixed it up ourselves for them. So they might have multiple attempts to, to perform the challenge. So the younger kids might have three throws, the older kids two throws, myself for sure I might just get one throw in order to kind of balance it off because some of them are pretty tricky, Sean, like trying to flip it off your foot. The first time you try and flip it off your foot, even a skilled footballer like yourself, it just goes up in the air and straight down again about two inches. Yeah, they're not all easy, these challenges, by any means. They're not, they're not. And I think you have to use a bit of common sense if the youngest player in the game gets one of the hardest challenges maybe pass that challenge on or modify it in some way and as we did with we, we've played this with a four-year-old all the way up to ourselves and everybody had fun i think it was great that it was flexible enough because i wasn't sure how to incorporate the four-year-old into the game obviously you had some ideas and it totally worked and then after a while he wanted to play properly didn't he, he was like no i'm not doing that i want to play properly and he was successful he was, he was. And it also, you kind of modify who who does the throwing. There's no point in having the 10-year-old throw into the 4-year-old because it's just not going to happen. So maybe have, have the adult throw to the 4-year-old. Happy days. <laughs> Last thing I'll say is that one thing I would like to see is that because the challenges are so wildly different in difficulty, like trying to flip it off your elbow is really hard. Maybe either you get extra points. So if you do this one, you get one or two cloud tokens or 
you have three goes to do this or five yeah. goes to do yeah. this. That would have been 100%. nice. Some of them, you know, like just just more difficult. That's all. And I think as the designers, they could have gone. This is a really difficult one. Here's the bonus for doing it. That's all. Yeah, no, I actually thought it was like that. And I was scouring the card thinking, hang on, this one's really hard. Surely I get more than one go at it. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I, I was just making up as we went along. I was looking at it going, well, that sounds tough. You can have three goes to do that. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And that made the game better for me because you did that. And I just assumed that was part of the rules. And when I got it back to play sort of with my wife and my son, just the three of us, I was looking, hang on. Hang on, I'm sure there's three goes at this one. This one's ridiculous. He's <laughs> Ronan making crap up again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting it right for once. Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> that's the one for the year. So, yeah, guys, that's hot. So, Caitlin was your present from Essen this year, so we're going to hear from you first. What do you think about Hop? What hit you first? I love the rainbows. Just the rainbows? And I love the tiny little statues. They're so cute. And have you got a favourite? Zoe. She's literally me. Literally you? How is she literally you? Well, because she has a lot of plasters. (laughs) Accidents. And I keep on hurting myself. (laughs) I've broken one of those. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> interested and the game itself what did you think about it when you first played it it was really fun but it's really hard to throw it properly you always say to throw it up and slowly and carefully what's the actual word that you use a parabola yeah that's the one up and down up and down to get it on the finger and the fact you're doing the actions <laughs> no one can see <laughs> it's an audio medium <laughs> um, but so in terms, you thought it was quite difficult to throw and get over the finger. Yeah. Have you found it easier? You're getting better at it. How have we made it so that you can join in? Well, for some reason, I'm better at catching when James throws it. Who's four? Yeah. For some <laughs> reason, I'm better at catching it. <laughs> so we give Caitlin three throws whenever we play to try and yes. even it up. Yes. And do you think it works that way? Do you think it's fair when we play like that? Yeah. Ellie, thoughts on hop? I love the artwork. It's so yeah, pretty. It's so cool. And with all the clouds and the birds laid out yeah. around it. I also love the jobs of the turbulators. They are <laughs> yeah. hilarious. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> Is that because you love being awkward? I also love the unicorn. Yeah, I'm fabulous at doing the unicorn. The you unicorn is where you have to your put your forehead. finger on your forehead and then the person throws to you. I think anything called unicorn was going to get your vote of approval. Yes. yes. Okay. Caitlin, is there anything you'd change in Hop to make it better? No, I really like it. You really like it? Yeah. Happy with your present from Essen? Yeah. I'm a great dad. <laughs> Ellie? <laughs> Ellie, anything you'd change about Hop? With the staging, and then you have those sturdier fire things on the side, (laughs) and they're really hard to insert, so maybe find a happy triangle or something. (laughs) Yeah, they're just balancers on the side of the board. They're probably not the thing they put most thought into when they were making up. Overall opinion on the game, Ellie? I like it a lot. It's fun. It's definitely a party game. Cool. It's Mm. been a big hit round here, even if I do keep winning. (laughs) It's one of my favourite games. It's my second favourite game.
Okay, moving on to a game that I briefly talked about with Natalie when we were broadcasting from our hotel room in Essen, and that is Zubrai Hokdrai, or as I've now found out, it's actually called Wizardry to the Power of Three. comes from Pegasus Spiel, designed by Michael Palm and Lucas Zack, who did The Dwarves, the game that uh, I always play with uh, Chris Marling when we go to LobsterCon. And it plays two to six players. So, what have you here? You are wizard students, and you are out past your bedtime. It's Harry Potter, really. Uh, You're out past your bedtime, and the local ghost, who is also the groundskeeper, has cottoned on to your shenanigans. And you have to get back to the wizardry castle before the ghost catches you. This is a memory game. And all around the board where this path to the castle is are little tiles representing trees. And under the trees, the spirits of the forest are going to help you get back. So under the trees are pictures, and they represent the exact pictures on a three three dice that you are going to roll. And you're going to try and remember, depending on your results, where each of these is you can help each other until you get onto the castle steps and then you must be do it all on your own that's pretty much it pure memory ronan harry potter i mean wizardry to the power of three well they couldn't have got a snappier name no (laughs) (laughs) okay maybe it sounds better in german surprisingly challenging Sean which you did cover previously the fact that the ghost comes at you when you don't really know where any of the symbols are and you're still learning yes it accelerates later on but at the beginning can be very tough and I think that those potions and re-rolls are very much needed early on to get the balance get ahead of the curve and start getting away from that ghost I've still never played it as the actual rule stipulate where it's on the actual tiles that you're moving along the ghost gets quicker and quicker and quicker to the point where he's moving three spots towards the end, not the one at the beginning. I don't even think I'd managed that quite yet. It's, it's very good, difficult at first until you get your engine going when you start knowing where things are. What I'll say about it, Ronan, it's a very involving game. Everybody is is kind of forced to help each other along and kind of be invested in everybody else's role because you're looking to see, I know where that is, I can help them. It definitely is for the first half, okay? And this is maybe my slight concern over it is because it's very challenging at the beginning, but when you get to halfway, you kind of know where the tiles are. So even on someone else's turn, you're not particularly paying that much attention because, oh, yeah, you've got Well, we all know where the star is, we all know where the owl is. And where the tension should be building and the ghost getting faster should be part of that tension. I found for me that actually the tension reduced and a lot of the excitement was front-loaded with this game. I think it's targeted at a younger audience than we play. Well, not that I played because I think it's targeted at that four- and five-year-old market for sure. And I think it's... He's building their sort of knowledge as they go along. And when... When you start sort of thinking, oh, actually, oh, everyone knows where this is, that's when they start getting quite proud of themselves because they're starting to know where things are. And then those final few steps where they have to do it on their own, that's their sort of final sort of gold star well done moment. So I think it's, it's more tailored towards that younger audience. 
nice insight i like that and we're going to talk about the top five again probably but with a lot of these family games very much i think our perspective on it is how much our kids have enjoyed it because obviously you're choosing family games to spend time with your family and if they're having fun then you're having fun and a lot of it is reflection backwards and forwards so with this one being aimed more at younger kids possibly with my kids they didn't have that journey through it. They were like, okay, I know everything is now. Cool, let's go. We're going to win this game. Let's get on with it. That, I think, comes through with how we feel about these games, Sean. 100%. I, I wouldn't be picking up Spinderella or Wizardry to the Power of Three or any of these, really, if I didn't have my son to play with and or, or we, I didn't come around to your house and would play with your daughters. And they kind of bring the games alive almost for you. And some of them are good enough. I think Hawk's good enough to play on its own with adults. But some of them, you do see it through the eyes of the children, for sure. Cool. And coming at it, so from, from my perspective, in order to keep the tension for the older kids, I came up with a couple of things that I might do. Maybe mix it up around. Yep, Maybe. tell me. Well, the first thing, I think we discussed it when we all played together, extend the silence bit of it. So not just those final three or four steps up, but move it further on the track. So actually, just into the game, you can't help each other. You can't go, I need a star, the star's here. It's like, well, you've got to remember what the star is. It's been exposed by now. Crack on. And then everyone will have to focus that little bit more for the older kids rather than rely on each other. Yeah, it's a simple fix, but I think it certainly would work. It would make the game slightly more challenging. And maybe actually play into the actual rules as well. How about that? <laughs> yeah there's definitely that although i don't think you would make it uh, it's kind of very hard when you don't know anything but that's the only yeah. thing I about it is that it, i could see it getting frustrating where you go well we just haven't found that and now there's we didn't have a lot of control over the fact that the the ghost has just taken us down but i, I don't want to f- try and fix it too much because actually they've done a good job of gamifying a memory game where, you know, like a simple game of pairs, what have you. Okay, that's cool. We've all yeah. played pairs with our kids. But this then brings it on and turns it into a game that's the element of chase. I think they've given it charm, is what I would say. I think it's actually quite a charming game. It looks nice. You've got that gaming bling with the actual 3D wizard school that you go up the steps physically. And, yeah, it's, it's nice. And there's a nice story behind it with the ghost chasing you and you've got to get to bed and... It's I don't, I, I don't, oh, man, nice. It's it's quite tense. <laughs> it's quite hard. It's quite hard. <laughs> but again, for me, the front loaded. So I'm kind of looking at ways to improve the second half of the game, or or tighten that up a bit, or make it a little bit harder. But just because of the age of kids that I, I would play it with. But as a game for that age group, yeah, I think they've done a good job. For sure. So, for trademark reasons, we can't call it the Harry Potter game. <laughs> but girls, the Harry Potter game. Caitlin, with a bit of memory and flipsy and a little bit like pears, but with a scary ghost chasing you the whole time. Did you like it? Yeah, it was really fun. It's really good to build up your memory. Yes. Yeah. Do you ever have trouble with your memory at your age of 10? No, but like, because <laughs> it's a children's game, if you played it with younger children, it, then it would be good to build up their memory. And yet we played with the four-year-old and he remembered better than any of us where all the tiles were. Yeah, because yeah, we're a bit older. <laughs> Life's stressing you out, is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. 
<laughs> Eleanor, again, designed for younger children at 13. How did you find the Harry Potter game? <laughs> <laughs> I think that it was quite fast-paced, and I liked it a lot. I liked the art, too. I'm very art-oriented to do the games. Oh, yeah, we've been, that, been yeah. judging yeah, people yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the art is good for children, actually. Yeah, because it's quite clear, the symbols are... Yeah. The hedgehog, the bat, the mouse, the cat... To me, that felt a bit tricky for younger kids to try and remember all the differences between them. Did you not? No. I think no. James disproved that theory. It's just my old ancient brain again. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they knew what those animals were and if they knew what it looked like, then it would be easy for them. But if they didn't know what the animals looked like and if they couldn't tell them apart, then it would be hard for them. Yeah, I know. I struggled with hedgehog mouse all that. It, it was a problem. <laughs> yeah, because you're a small child. <laughs> <laughs> On the inside. <laughs> Okay, but not on the outside. <laughs> and did you find it challenging at all? Because the problem is it's a memory game, so you think if it's aimed at younger kids, maybe for older children like you, or young ladies, sorry, Eleanor. <laughs> That's a flat look. It's just your face. It's like, hmm, why would you say that about me? I'm not a young lady. Am I just a child? <laughs> It's a memory game and aimed at younger kids. For older children like you and young ladies like Eleanor, there's the risk always that it might be too easy. Did you think it was too easy, Ellie? If it was aimed at someone at my age group, then I think that they could have put in a few more things to remember. But as it's aimed at that age group, I believe that it is hard enough. Well, was it hard enough for you, though? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was fine for 13-year-olds then. Well, maybe a little easy, but, you know, I was playing with a four-year-old, okay. so I couldn't really complain. Caitlin? It was kind of hard. Kind of hard? Yeah. Cool. It was surprisingly difficult at the beginning, I'd say, especially yeah. for such a young child's game. Would you like to play it again, Caitlin? Yeah. For sure? Yeah. Yeah, big thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. Your two thumbs up doesn't work on the radio. Ellie, <laughs> would you like to play it again? Um, I would, yeah. Cool. Would you play again just because you're playing with younger kids or would you get it out if it was just the three of us? I think given that normally on our game nights I only have one choice. One choice each? That's democracy. <laughs> so no, I don't think I would get it out on a game night that was just the three of us. I, I think would. I would play it with younger children. Thanks for interjecting. So I think Caitlin would. <laughs> yeah, I would. You liked it enough for that. Yeah. You have to be careful not to knock over the castle. Oh yeah, you did get sent flying a lot. Yeah. Mm. Long hair. Mm. <laughs> so, our penultimate game this episode is Pingle Pingle. This is designed by Roberto Fraga, the second of his three games this time round. It plays in exactly 15 minutes. It's for two to five players, and it's published by Yellow. So in this game, players are on a treasure island, thematically. What you in fact do is press play on a 15-minute soundtrack. And players take turns flipping one card and throwing it into a shared stack in the middle. The end of the game, after 15 minutes of soundtrack, if you are alive, whoever has the most treasure is going to win. Now. This is clearly all driven by what the cards are that you flip over. And these are the type of cards in the shared deck. There's treasure. Now, treasure is going to come in different types with different artwork on. Each of the types is going to come in night and day varieties. And the soundtrack changes between nighttime and daytime at various times throughout the game. 
also and quite subtly some of those cards are going to be traps they're going to have little bugs crawling on them or a, quite a subtle snake crawling in the foreground or a detail that tells you this is not a treasure card it's a trap card but very very similar to each other so firstly if it is a treasure card and you're the first player to tap it you take it and those are points at the end of the game if it's a trap card and you're the first player to tap it or night and day and you tap it at the wrong time you will lose one of your seven lives so you can lose lives right if you lose your seven lives you're dead and out of the game however some of the cards are monkey sorcerers if you're the first player to tap a monkey sorcerer you heal one of your lives back there are camp cards the first player to tap a camp card as long as it's the right time of day is going to be able to steal the treasure from one other player now things start getting a bit more mixed up and you see what's unique about this game there's a suspension bridge card. If you are the player to flip over a suspension bridge, then around the room somewhere would have been placed two fairly big standees, which represent the two ends of the suspension bridge. You must get up off your seat, run and touch one end of the suspension bridge, run and touch the other end of the suspension bridge, and run back and sit down in your seat. You must do that before the soundtrack <laughs> makes the sound of Pingle Pingle. If you do it before Pingo Pingo is said, that's great, you get back. If you says Pingo Pingo, before you're back in your seat, you lose one of your seven lives. And the Pingo Pingos are interspersed throughout the soundtrack. Every few seconds, there are longer pauses, there are shorter pauses, whatever it might be. And it's not timed to when you flip the card because the soundtrack doesn't know when you flip that card. It's just going to happen at some point. So run as quick as you can. There are bear riding penguins. If you flip over a bear riding penguin card... There will be a bear riding penguin standee somewhere in the room. You must pick up the gun that comes with the game that shoots darts. You must load the gun and try and shoot the standee that shows the bear riding penguins before it says Pingo Pingo. If you don't manage to hit it, if Pingo Pingo comes, you're going to lose a life. There's a space penguin and that combines both things because you're going to have to run back to your shipwreck touch it, run back to your seat, then pick up the gun, then shoot the space penguin standee before the soundtrack says, Pingo, Pingo. And the last type of card, you throw it in there, you've got to grab the whole stack in the middle, shuffle them up and deal them out equally, any way you want to, to each of the players before it signs Pingo, Pingo, or you're going to lose your life. At the end of the 15 minutes, you're only allowed to keep three treasures per life you have remaining, and the most treasure is going to win the game. Sean, you need the right space to play this game, you need the right time, you need the right crowd, and you might also need some earplugs for anyone else in the area. Pingo, pingo. Well, this is the one that I haven't played, Ronan, so I can only guess from afar. I've got some questions for you. You mentioned space. Now, I think it seems like you need will need a hell of a lot of space. You really can't have any obstacles in the, in the way, especially with children. I think... I mean, could that get quite dangerous if there was obstacles in the way? Well, if you're going to tell your kids to run around and there's obstacles in the way, then that would be dangerous either way. Yeah, you, you need to clear the furniture a little bit. You need to make sure there's not bits sticking out. Don't have any fire pits live at the time, or maybe away from cattle grids. You don't, you don't need loads of space. In a, a decent-sized room, you can play it, because the shooting... Well, firstly, the gun that comes with the game is the worst game component I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's pathetic. It won't shoot a dart more than about a foot. And you want to put them away some distance. So stick a Nerf gun in there, people. Stick something else that's going to fire a safe projectile. Okay. 
you probably need a room that's maybe 15 feet long and then you're fine because the pingo pingo comes up quite quickly and you don't want to be charging around all over the place. You just want a quick run, run, quick back to your seat, get on with it and keep the game flowing. So not loads and loads of space, but yeah, obviously with anything you run around, you have to be a little bit aware of the environment. What age range would you recommend? I can see like up to as much as six. If, if a, people were kids of six were playing this, I can see it being absolute bedlam with <laughs> with black eyes and cut heads and screaming. Well, no, no, and... it's not like that. It's like that, that, that would be dancing eggs where everyone's running around. There's only one right. person running. Oh, okay. Right. At once. Like if, it's, oh, sorry. I Maybe I didn't convey this right. Only you act on your card if it's a challenge card. If it's a treasure card, a trap card, all that, people can tap it. But that's all they do. You're just tapping the card. You're not doing anything else. When it's like suspension bridge card, one person has to run and do it and sit down again before the bingo bingo or they lose a life. Not everyone. I like physical element of this. What I don't like is I hate games where you have to tap cards in the middle of a, middle of a table. I hate it. I get too tense. <laughs> but it's really funny because it's got a real push or luck element. Because you want to keep as many lives as possible, because otherwise you could end up with two lives and 15 treasures where you only got scored six points. You're wasting your time. So it's the whole thing of, and, and the traps are subtle enough, even after we've played it a few times, that you don't instantly do it. And also, you may have just gone been on a little run, or you may have been shooting and your mind's slightly distracted. And because it's real time, the person's, as soon as you're done, the next person's flipping the card. You're not, you don't have that tension of just being focused on the deck. Because there's other stuff going on, so it hasn't got that kind of sitting there, everyone white knuckles, tense, waiting for the one good card. It's funny and quick enough and flowing enough that you sit down and go, oh, and by the time you've gone, oh, the next card's out, someone's tapped it, they've lost a life because it was a trap, the next card's out, they're off running again, and you're going, Black, what's going on, what's going on? Very, very funny and constantly active. All right, it seems like you're enjoying that one. Shall we, shall we see what Ellie and Caitlin have to say? There is a competition in our house for which game is loudest when we play it, and this next one is definitely a contender. Pingle, pingle! Pingle, pingle! <laughs> Another game with a real-time aspect to it. After saying you don't like it, real-time that is in certain games. Caitlin, thoughts on pingle, pingle? I love it, but the gun that comes with the game is not good. We it's use really a Nerf bad. gun when we do yeah. it. It's really fun, though. Okay. Um, and you have to have really good aim to win the game because you need to shoot the cards. Mm-hmm. And how important is the running aspect? It keeps you fit. That's <laughs> how often you play it, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Marathon Bingo Pingo for an hour and a half. <laughs> Eleanor, thoughts on Pingo Pingo? I like it, but the app, as with other apps such as Escape, it really stresses me out. Really <laughs> it hurts me. <laughs> it hurts me deeply. It's just like the war cry. Pingle, pingle. <laughs> <laughs> but it does make us laugh when someone gets yeah. caught out by pingle, pingle. And there's a differentiation between day and night. Obviously, yeah. different cards you can take between day or night. Is it too clear, clear enough? Are you able to follow what's going on? Because... I know we shout and scream and run around and stuff. You have to actually listen to what's going on. How do you feel it works with that and the differentiation? I think it's really clear. Yeah? Yeah. I think they designed it so that 
If it was a quiet game, it would be too clear. But because it's a loud game, it's just clear enough. It makes different noises for the different times of day. It so does. Really good. Now, you can only score a certain number of points depending on how much life you've got left. And whenever we play, Caitlin, you end up with loads of life left and no treasures taken. Yeah. Why is that? I don't risk it for the biscuit. But then you can't win the game. You play too conservatively. Yeah, but I just like to have lives because they're big rubies with gold around them and I love sparklies. <laughs> <laughs> is that your personal win condition, having the most lives left? Yeah. Because it's just sparklies. Nice, yeah. okay, good. I'm saying she plays too conservatively and I'm the one with no life left at the end of the game who <laughs> finishes it because she's dead. Every time a treasure card's flipped over, Ellen is in there slapping her hand out. Shiny, shiny, shiny. She's just like, slop! <laughs> I think I actually like the bugs. The bugs are fun. Bugs game. make me feel sick. And you lose a life if you hit one of the cards with the bugs it's on a bit it. Like you get a but disease. I like bugs. A disease from yeah. the bugs. Yeah, you just lose a life. Bugs it's like fun. slap the bug, they bite you. It's a disease. You die. Okay, that's a fairly grim way to finish. Pinga pinga overall, Caitlin. It's really fun. I love it. Love it, love it. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Great. Eleanor. Shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, last game for this episode. It's Spinderella and back to our old friend Roberto Farraga. This one got the Kenner Spiel des Jahres 2015. I hope it didn't get the Kenner Spiel des Jahres because that would be a real surprise. This one got the Kinder Spiel des Jahres in 2015. Sure? I think it might be, possibly, I don't know. And it's two to four players from Zoch, Verlag, or Devir, and Gigamic. First of all, you build a 3D representation of a forest where you have little posts that act as trees and raise another platform up from the game box, where on the floor of the game box is a little path on the woodland. What you're trying to do is move ants along this path and get them to the far side, which is where they're going to have a little feast. There's fruit and all such for the ants to eat. But Spinderella and her two friends are lurking in the trees above. Spinderella herself is on a pulley system and she is attached by a string to the pulley above her and two other spiders, which when they are moved, raise and lower her and move her across the board. Why is she trying to do that? Because she's a magnet herself. She is trying to lower down to catch the ants who have metal pieces in them and when she gets low enough, the ants will be snaffled up and they have to start again. There's also a tree trunk which can be moved to either hide the ants or block their path if it's by another player or, or as an obstacle where the ants have to go up higher so they're more vulnerable to Spinderella. It's all done by dice. You roll the dice and then the dice will tell you whether you can move your ants or you can move Spinderella herself or you can do a combination of both or move the log. That's as simple as that, Ronan. Spinderella, you managed to get a game of this with himself, the big man. How did you find it? It was mean, Sean. <laughs> there is actually a little bit of nastiness in it. I didn't expect that game to be so mean. <laughs> I'm not in a happy place. You bought it. I did buy it a while ago for the big fella himself. 
<laughs> yeah, wow. Seriously, I did not expect it to be that much of a take that game. I know the kids love take that in their parents. I can see the appeal to it. It just took me by surprise, that's all. There's more to it, as you just said, than you would think. You've got the puzzle using the spiders. You have the planning in where you move the ants or move the try and move the spiders around. You've got also the element where you are riding on top of other ants and getting other ants to carry you. You've also got the hiding under the trees, the blocking with the trees. There are lots of definite gamey things to think about in this children's game. I, I love the physical aspect of the moving the spiders round, of the fact you can judge it, of the fact if you go on top of the tree, you're actually easier to catch because you're elevated. Therefore, the spider hasn't got to drop so close. The two spiders on the top level don't have to be close together to drop the spider down. I love the physical aspect of it. Also, this is clearly down to me. I found it quite hard to judge if I was going to get caught or not. And the height of the spider, I was like, well, that that moves across there, it'll be shorter, but then they can move that there and make it longer. And, ah, oh, man, this found a hole in my brain where something doesn't exist, it should. <laughs> well, I was truly, truly terrible at it. Yes. I, I'm also terrible at it. I don't know if that says more about us. But I think it just also... It shows, definitely shows my son that he can be as effective, if not more effective, by blocking others as well as advancing himself. So he brings another sort of element to his thinking. All of a sudden he's thinking, hang on, normally in all of my other games, I just move the ants and I'd be really happy just moving the ants. But now I can stop Daddy or I can stop Uncle Ronan. And that might be just as good. Again, it just adds to his thinking and it, it opens horizons for him. I, I love this it is something that. you want to teach him? <laughs> Surely he's going to be bullying us around soon enough that we don't want to teach him this early. <laughs> he brutalised me. He literally took it, me out of the game. I was like stuck I, with zero points. What? Yeah, I think I think you'll find it was three zero zero. Yeah. In his favour. Yeah, that was that was terrifying. Yeah, and we weren't actually being a hundred percent nice to him. I was doing quite some mean things back to him, but I was being zero percent nice to him. We talk. I was <laughs> I was sweating bullets. I'm gonna get you, kid. What the hell's going on? Okay, I've got one little criticism for you. Go. Right? Yeah. The bit where the ants can carry other ants can break yeah. the game yeah. a tiny bit because you pile up on top of each other and then. The people, and I talk about breaking a kid's game, but the ones at the bottom are just going to go, I'm not going to move that because I'm moving two of yours for one of mine. And there's kind of no way of escaping. Even if I said you can move, if you move a step backwards, you kick them off your back or something like that. Somewhere breakers, once they get stacked, it kind of made it a little bit weird. But I think you move the other ants and eventually, if you've only got one ant left, you have to move your ant. Yeah, but then what if so- that's everyone's last ant and they're all piled up? Well, then the person at the bottom has to move, but also you're higher up, so you're more of a target for Spinderella. Yeah, I think there's a, he hasn't quite grasped that, that it's actually a good good thing for him to do. I think uh, we, we showed him, because I think we had a stack of about four, and he was like, but I don't understand. Why have I got to move yours? <laughs> Eventually, we got snaffled because we were too high up. And yeah. it kind of increases the danger slightly. 
and he had the option of moving other ants until he had got to that point. I know what you're saying. I just... Some way of breaking that stack. That's all. And I know yeah, it puts yeah, you maybe. more vulnerable, and, but for me, it was a little... It just for a, a kind of funny game where you're moving things around a lot and all the ants are whizzing around and the tree trunks are whizzing around and the spiders are whizzing around, there's one bit that makes it a bit sticky and immobile and I just wish there was a way of breaking it. That's all. But yeah, fair enough. overall... As with all of these games, I had good fun. I was surprised, probably surprised how bad I was at it, but it was surprisingly <laughs> a lot of fun. Very good, very good. And Caitlin and Ellie have not played this, I believe. Well, they have not, so we will not be hearing from them on this one. We are going to move on to Sean and I and both my girls giving our top fives of the five of the six games that we've all played and we've all played different ones. Good stuff. Girls, we know you've liked all of these games to some degree or another. Sometimes it's difficult to tell for everyone listening what you liked most and what you liked slightly less. So I'm going to get you to run down from five to one how you would rank the five or the six of these games you have played. So, Caitlin, what would be your fifth best one? My fifth best one would probably be Dragon Tower because it's quite short and both of the types of games are building up to each other it would be a bit better if they were two different games that you could choose to play okay they're quite similar to each other yeah Yeah. okay Eleanor what's your fifth favorite one my fifth favorite one is the Harry Potter game otherwise known as magic to the power of three and that would be because it's slightly for a younger audience however it is still fun and still quite challenging (laughs) on my tiny mind i think you don't like it because it's too hard and it's ages six and up (laughs) (laughs) no one can see you nodding (laughs) caitlin your fourth favorite game out of these uh it would be pingo pingo oh so low (laughs) (laughs) wife only four uh, it would be my fourth favourite one because the gun isn't very good and there's a lot of running around where sometimes games should be a bit relaxing. Oh, interesting. Is it better when we put the Nerf gun in there? Yeah. Yeah, the gun that's supposed to be for shooting cats. Yeah. <laughs> Humanely. <laughs> Eleanor, your fourth favourite game. My fourth favourite game is Dragon Tower and it's because... It is, again, aimed at a younger audience, and also I do like the building up, but it sort of reminds me of Super Rhino. However, the art isn't great, and that's a big factor for me. You you don't like the art in Dragon Tower? No. Oh, shocked. Crikey. Okay, top three, Katie. Number three for you? My third favourite would be Dr. Eureka, because it's kind of a bad stress, but it's kind of a good stress. And sometimes it's not nice to be stressed. So sometimes you we want to play it too often, maybe? Yeah. Or I only want to play it sometimes when you're yeah. in that mood. And there's not enough colours. There's only three colours. If there were more colours, how hard would it be? <laughs> <laughs> you want 12 test tubes? Do you have to be an octopus to play it? Or do you want? <laughs> well, it's just... I did like it, but it definitely wasn't my favourite. Okay. My number third is actually exactly the same. Um, Dr Eureka... I like because it. you want there to be only two colours. 
Yes. <laughs> I want there to be two colours and one test tube to be able to use our hands to be able to take as long as we want. That's no. a different game. <laughs> that would be a very easy game that that only Dad would people play. that that people that have small wines would play, and they wouldn't really want to play it that much. Anyway, <laughs> so talk to Eureka because I only wanted to have two colours, and because I only wanted to have one test tube. But also because I do like it, and it is a lot of fun. It's very loud, and it's good to play with your family. It's a laugh. It's very loud when you play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, get, I tend to get screamy. quite screamy yeah. <laughs> Squealy My ears okay. oh my Number two Oh my second favourite game is uh, Is the so called Harry Potter game Magic to the power of three Yes that one Snappy title Can't believe yeah. you didn't remember it <laughs> <laughs> So catchy um, It's my second favourite Because I do really like it Yep And it's really nice to remember things and work with other people, but it isn't my favourite because there is a better game. Okay, but it's pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Very good. Yeah. How far are we going to push this? Um, to awesome. Nice, nice. Eleanor, your number two? My number two is Pingo Pingo. In spite of the rubbish gun and the stressful sound effects, I actually find it incredibly hilarious. It's so fun to play. We've lost a fair few Nerf bullets behind the fridge. And you can laugh at other people's failures and your own failures. You can have fun with your successes and it's quite competitive in a good way. And how much of that is laughter at me sliding around in my socks in the kitchen on the wooden floor? Um, I'd say about 73%. <laughs> 73, 90%. roughly. 90%. thanks. Yeah. Dad barreling around like an Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> and number one, it sounds like it's the same for both of you. Caitlin hit us. You told us already you love it. Hop! I love hop. Oh. It's just awesome. I love the art. It's so fun to play with other people. And I love the different challenges that you have for it. Like different ways you have to throw it there's the koala one where you have to put your head on the table there's the unicorn one that the catchy person has to do there's also the horned slug thing where that you have two options but you can't see your fingers it's really fun it's just really good really good yeah, it's great awesome. cool it's, it's awesomer than awesome okay that's big yeah. i like yeah. that yeah. good okay. thanks eleanor my number one is, as Dad has said, hop. I'm hop! 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 I love to play it and I, as Caitlin has already said, she's practically said it all, I love all the different challenges with the panda where you have to lay on your back on your chair and chuck it. It was fun to watch Dad do all the challenges too and the one where he had to lay on his belly on his chair. How about on my abs on the chair? And then he was tipping. <laughs> So, oh, yeah, just a great game. A when, when How much of a fool I make out of myself during the game apparently equates to where it is in your top five. Pretty much, yes. Lovely, thank you very much. So, well, say goodbye to your adoring public after your debut on the game. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.
Okay, so, as Ronan said, we are now going to tell you of the five games that we have individually played, what are our top five. So, I'm going to kick off with my number five. And it has to go to Dr. Eureka for me. Oh! Oh! I'll tell you why. First and foremost, it's not a game I can play with my son yet. So, I can't really enjoy it with, with him. I can't see it through his eyes. I do think it is a very good game, but time pressure games are something that I'm not really into because of my job. I do that at work. I'm in a time sensitive situation all the time. I'm solving puzzles all the time as a line controller on a train line. So when I come, I come home and I am doing the same thing for my leisure. It kind of makes me think, ah, you know what? I do this at work. So for that reason, I've had to judge it somehow, and I've pushed Dr. Eureka to number five, but I still do think it's a very good game. You just made me laugh there, because uh, I'm also on the railway, but in a different role to Sean. I'm the person on the ground, and in 17 years, I've never had the controller solve any problems. That's my job. Nah. I thought you'd you sit there and take my glory, no? None of that. <laughs> Bringing up some work rivalries out in public. I like it. <laughs> So, my number five is Wizardry to the Power of Three. It's a lovely co-op idea. It's great to have co-ops for younger kids. I know there are others, but real basic ones in, in my experience. I probably started my kids with Forbidden Island as their first co-op. So, this sits in the area b- between the real basic ones and something more advanced like that. But for me, my kids weren't that into it. It got a bit easy for them too soon. And there's probably not quite enough replayability. Because once you're familiar with the symbols, it's going to become easier to remember where they are. So I had fun. I think it's a great idea. I love the co-ops going to a younger audience. But Wizardry to the Power 3 is my number five. You do know the symbols move around, don't you? I know. But when you're unfamiliar completely with the symbols... Yeah, I suppose. uh, But when you know there's a star, there's a hedgehog, there's a mouse, there's an owl, there's a cat... Once it becomes easy to remember where they are. Okay. In my Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. My number four is Dragon Tower from Haber. And I think we touched upon it. I felt that it probably didn't live up to its billing. It does look spectacular, but it doesn't quite play as spectacularly. It's still a nice, fun game to play. And my son absolutely loves it when the dragon pulls the stone from under the scaffolding. And for that reason alone, it gets to my number four. Okay, my number four is Dr. Eureka. Now, this is for a reason. I personally love it. I love it. It's competitive, and I get fired into it, and I go really quickly, and I'm like, yeah, great. I'm all over that sort of business. But I'm aware of how competitive it is, and therefore it makes me feel a little bit bad for some of the players at the table because some of them are just not going to be as good as other players, and therefore... My enjoyment is slightly curtailed because I'm aware that not everyone is right in on the edge of the excitement of, of where am I winning, how many points I can get. And it's a great, simple idea. I think it's a great game. Were this just my personal taste and rating, it would be higher up. But as a review of the game, I have to be aware that there are a section of the audience that aren't going to enjoy it as much as I do, which is why I've put Dr. Eureka at number four. Okay. I agree completely what you're saying about the competitiveness. So my number three is wizardry to the power of three. And it's 
solely because my son loves it so much and it teaches him a lot about remembering where things are you've got that sort of harry potter thing going on i think it's a very charming well-designed game and it sits nicely as number three for me lovely my number three is spinderella i think it's fantastic for its age group i think the dice rolls are funny the spider coming after you is genuinely scary because you can't tell if it's quite going to get you or not or only get one more chance to roll and run away from it i think there's great interaction everyone's always involved because the your pieces are vulnerable all the time i really enjoyed spinderella in fact it was surprising how much i enjoyed the game so that's why spinderella is my number three Lovely stuff. Okay, my number two is Hop! Hop! As, as we said in the review, it just hits that ratio of silly fun to actual game just spot on for me. Had an absolute ball playing it. The fact that it can be adapted to include younger children is an absolute bonus. And even the overproduction that is in it, it just looks amazing on the table. So lots of positives for Hop. And my number two is Hop. Ah, Hop. Oh, is there any agreement, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> um, the group aspect, the fact that a whole table is involved all the time, the fact they're shifting alliances. So at some point you're wishing Sean to do well, the next time you're wishing he doesn't, and so on for all the players around the table. I love the actual challenge of it. I like that the card says, can you do this? And physically, I've got to try and do it. You know, I like playing sports. I like anything with a sporty aspect like that. I know sporty is going a bit far, but the, it's the challenge of, can I do this physical thing or not? It looks amazing. We have great fun. Everyone's laughing and doing things and up from the table and moving around, which I think is an important aspect of spending time together. And this gives you the framework to do it in. So my number two is really enjoyed. Hop. Okay, my number one, and not too hard to work out, it's Spinderella. I just love that there's so much going on in this game. It's taught my son so much about planning ahead, blocking, counting even. It's just it's just a really enjoyable game, and but for the adults as well. As Ronan just said when he was naming it as like, he's number three, it's just a genuinely enjoyable game. And you are worried about that spider coming down. You are thinking ahead all the time, and a lot more than is for a children's game so that's my number one is spinderella i'd like to give you my personal congratulations for not making any salt and pepper jokes <laughs> oh dear <laughs> so you know that my number one is going to be pingle pingle and i'm really sad that sean hadn't played it because i would love to have his opinion on it i think it is niche it's not going to go well with everyone with the running around and what have you, but it's amazingly funny. The whole thing of running around and not knowing when you're going to time out. I might have two minutes to do this in, or I might have five seconds, and it's random so that it hasn't got that competition aspect because it's not, can I shoot this better than the other people around the table? It's, how long have I got to shoot this? If I'm better, I've got a better chance of not losing a life, but I might get screwed by the soundtrack yeah, I, I really love that it brings that element in where we're not in complete control and it's not just a game of skill. The shooting can be hilarious. It doesn't matter what gun you use, 
don't use the one in the box. But it doesn't matter what gun you use because they're not going to be 100% accurate. So <laughs> especially sometimes we put a target quite far away and it shoots off and it just misses and it just misses and it just misses again. And everyone's groaning. And then you've got to run and grab the darts and run back to your seat and everyone's laughing about it. And then because they're laughing, they're barely in control for the next time. They've got to do something. It is just 15 minutes of fantastic fun. And I just love Pingo Pingo to pieces. And that's our top five family games, mostly from Spiel 2016, a couple of interlopers in there. Okay, Ronan, there we have it. There's four top fives in there, and I think it's probably safe to say that Hop has emerged as the as the winner of the day there. It was in the top two for everyone and nothing else was. So I think we're going to have to go with that one, Sean. And a worthy winner. Fun for all ages, as the cliche goes. It really is. And it matches that cliche spot on. Rainbows flying left, right and centre. Yeah. Mostly left and right when we're playing. (laughs) Didn't they? And there's definitely no centre. We hope you've enjoyed this sort of different slant on Spiel 2016 and one of the aspects of it we're going to review more of the heavier games in the next couple of episodes as we said at the beginning on the table for next time I'm going to be talking about mostly although both of us are going to be talking really but I'm going to be introducing Great Western Trail Cottage Garden and Adrenaline Sean I'm going to be talking about The Last Friday The Key to the City London and Flam Rouge how exciting and then we're gonna have like we said more spiel reviews hot on the heels of that episode and then we're kind of get back to something normal we've got our end of year show coming up we'll be reviewing 2016 talking about our top fives and best expansions and all that other sort of stuff and sean we are preparing a special little project aren't we I'm finally, after years of not logging my games properly getting up towards a thousand log plays it's kind of <laughs> a wildly inaccurate number, but help. a wildly inaccurate, yeah, yeah. We'll probably add probably add another three or four to that, but never mind. <laughs> I I finally get in there, and it's kind of a done thing on BGG to do a top forty or fifty when you get to a landmark. Bosh out a top 50. So we're going to do our top 50s. We're going to do 50 to 41 each, and then 40 to 31, and so on and so forth, down to 10 to 1. Uh, in relatively shorter episodes, we think, but they'll be coming out interspersed with our regular episodes. Thank you all for listening, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for loaning me your child to play these games with. Thank you for loaning me yours. That's all right. You can keep mine. That's all right. I'm done with this. <laughs> Thank you to Ellen and Caitlin for all their hard work preparing their notes and getting ready and recording. Absolutely. Much caused. Uh, and welcome to the game pit. And yeah, absolutely. Pleasure to have you. And hopefully soon you'll be replacing your dear father. (laughs) In all aspects of life. (laughs) And as always, we're very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go there for gaming podcasts, gaming news and gaming delights. If you wish to contact us, email us at thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com. We have a very active Facebook and Twitter account. We are at Game Pit Podcast. If you wish to come along and talk to us on Board Game Geek, we have a guild there, and we're always happy to have a chat about any subject you should wish to bring up. If you wish to download our episodes, we are on iTunes, 
Stitcher, and of course, Podbean. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Music by E. Aaron. <laughs>